podcast brought to you by Pile Style Events. My name is Dennis Junk. With me, as always, is the woman herself, Felicia Pyle. Hey there. And today we're interviewing Eric Clancy. We're sitting on his back porch right now with his dog Petra, and we're sipping a little bit of scotch. I don't know if I should have said that out loud, but we're <laughs> okay. okay right now. <laughs> hey, hey. This is a great side yard here. Yeah, so you're going to hear some nature sounds, maybe some neighbors. and Nature's the, music. Nature's the, music. The air conditioner is going over here, and we got a, the dog's drinking a little bit. So Petra's here. Hey, Petra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Eric Clancy, you're a jazz pianist, you're a booking manager for Club Soda. That's right. You're an educator, so you teach piano. Yes. Yeah. So what's it like balancing all these different roles? Oh, that's you wear a, a lot of hats. That's a good question. I guess in order to be a musician in a place like Fort Wayne, Indiana, to eke out an existence, you really have to do more than just one thing. It's it's hard to just play or just teach. I managed to do it through teaching primarily, and then I gig quite a bit on the side, and then I do quite a bit of recording for various people. That's right. You do a lot of recording projects. You do a lot mm-hmm. of composing. I, I do. to tell you about that, Dennis. Yeah, I, I call it jobbing composition. It's so good that you're writing regularly. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. That's cool. I what kind of it. stuff do you like to write? Or what, not like to, but what kind of things do you get commissioned to write most often? I'll say yeah, those first. two are not always the same thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy trying to solve problems. So if somebody has a specific musical or textural need, I try to provide a service for it. That can be something like hold music. It can be as simple as there's a funeral home company up in Quebec, Canada that I've done quite a bit of composition for. That's right. Um, where I've written music for people who are deceased and they need musical templates that they can put to videos and photographs and so forth. And so the challenge of writing music for that kind of thing is an interesting challenge, to say the least. You have to think a lot about color and timbre. Yeah, the Lydian scale is my best friend. I use a lot of very neutral kinds of scales and neutral sounds. Um, but it's it's always challenging. It's, it's hard to not sound like yourself. You know, I, sure. I end up kind of doing the same things and repurposing by Eric Clancy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. It'd be like going on a date and trying to yes. be someone you're not. That'd be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. The joke is I write death music, you know. That's kind of so. cool. Not, not to be confused with death metal. Right. Not death metal. No. I'm never going to be able to see you the same way. No. Now. Yeah. Okay. Go back to what you like writing. I actually want to know that. Well, that I enjoy me. that too. I mean, I don't mean to say that I don't yeah. enjoy that, but you know, I, I write s- simple jazz compositions occasionally. I do a lot of arranging. Um, I'll arrange a pop tune or arrange something for the kind of thing that I do as a jazz piano player. So if I'm, you know, I'll take a Beatles tune and repurpose it, um, put some new chords on it, change the rhythm, that kind of thing. That's awesome. So I enjoy that. It's That's the fun. kind of stuff that wows people when they come out to see you because um, you're always trying stuff like that on the bandstand and you have all the singers in the palm of your hand because it's like, <laughs> this guy can do anything. I think it's the other way around. I think I'm in their, the palm of their hand. No, you're not. You're a piano player. No, but it's cool. People well, really respect that about you, being able to do anything or be anything. You know, one of the things I always respected about you was that you you came along and you kind of established your own thing right out the gate. When, you know, right after long ago when you were taking lessons with me. It was an accident, but thank you. But you did. So it was very cool. Here. Eric is one of the two guys that she told me were her jazz dad. So the other one was Michael Patterson. The main uh, mentors. We could say it nicer. Main mentors. <laughs> <laughs> You're not old enough to be my dad, so. No. No, so it's it's have to, no. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, it is. No. But, I mean, Michael's my mentor because basically my first objection to playing with a rhythm section was you putting me with Dave Streeter and Michael Patterson and... Well, Michael was my mentor, too. Wow. 
You know, if you think about it, going back, uh, one of my very first gigs was with Michael Patterson, and it was with a singer named Neat Bramlett. You've talked a lot about Neat. Yeah, she was a big impact on me. So does Judge Caffey. He talks a lot about Neat, too. Yeah, yeah. She just had her own style and her her own way. She was quite old when I first met her. She was probably 78, 79, and I think she might have died around in her maybe 84, 85. Wow. She's... She was playing cool. music right up to the end. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It's kind of inspiration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She knew what she wanted out of a piano player, and she didn't mess around. So it was a good education for all of us. I think Michael would even probably attribute some of his background to her as well. Well, one of my questions was, how did you get into jazz music, music in general? And yeah. When did you kind of decide that you know this is what I want to do with my life? This is what I want to do for a career. Wow, oh, that's a good question. I never thought of myself as a professional jazz musician or a professional musician. When I first got married, I did all kinds of different things to make ends meet. Uh, and with your degrees in philosophy, right? Uh-huh. Okay. I studied philosophy and history. I just remember, you know, I was selling copy machines. I was doing whatever I had to do. And somebody offered me a gig out at Borders Books and Music. And I took the gig. And God, I probably saw you there. I used to love It was place. many years ago. Many, many years ago. And out of that grew a whole thing for me that I never really planned. Maybe only in the last couple of years did I really get a business card together. Um, I've never really done self-promotion. Again, I feel like I should take some lessons from you on that because you're so great at it. It's a family trait. Yeah. <laughs> but not by not being worried about that. It's my dad was I know sales what you mean. marketing. So yeah. literally I grew up with him yeah. pitching stuff. I was primping my hair and listening to him sell things and yeah. get people what they need and explain his product in the, the, the bedroom the store. I personally visited your grandpa. Oh my he, was, God. he was giving her marketing advice. One of the last times that he was coherent enough to talk to me, he had asked about what I was doing, and I always would show him pictures on my phone of the gig that yeah. we had played or who I played with and where. Wow. And he was like, yeah, just remember. Remember, Alicia, it's just important to keep getting your name out there. He didn't even know where he was, and he was telling me that. It was really cool, but I don't mean to interject with that. Oh, no, it's fine. Back then, and I think we're talking like 98, 99, 2000, I didn't need to promote myself. There were several people in town that were already doing a very good job of their own self-promotion. All you had to do as a piano player was more or less market yourself to them. Mm-hmm. And if, if you could provide what they needed and could back them up, they'd call you. That's You're kinda, talking about singers, right? Mostly singers. Yeah, okay. but not always. Uh, gotcha. There were there were bass players and drummers that also booked rooms. But ironically, piano players didn't book rooms back then. Now it's a little different. Cool. So how did you become a jazz pianist to begin with? Well, I was always into jazz. I was always into jazz. Even when I was super young, my dad had these old reel-to-reel tapes of Dave Brubeck albums. And uh, cool. and uh, my uncle used to unload all his jazz albums. He was a classical guy, and he, he just gave me all his jazz albums. He didn't know what to do with them, and I listened to them very intently growing up. So I was always sort of dabbling in music, and I call that kind of quality of life playing, where I was just playing for myself, and I look for that for my students. I want them to enjoy what they do. And then somehow or other, it became a profession it sort of snuck up on me i didn't plan on it It just happened so it started with borders and then one gig led to another yeah i would you know somebody asked me to play some background music um i went and did that um club soda opened up soon after joseph dequise opened up and i was playing for both of those rooms i was doing a lot of playing in south bend chicago and gary they had what they called jobbing bands and through a couple contacts in south bend i ended up playing with various bands there sometimes visiting bands would come into town and i would end up subbing and then i would get the gig later 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I had met them and I stayed out of their way, so they called me again. <laughs> He's amenable. <laughs> I think that's the secret Compliant. to being a good side person. Plays yeah. well with others. Yeah. Shows up. Yeah. Not drunk. <laughs> Most of the time. Until <laughs> later in the gig. Anyway. Wait till the last set. <laughs> so what are some of the projects you're working on now that you're really excited about? I'm kind of in between projects at the moment. I'm I'm back with Todd Harold, who's uh, somebody I've collaborated with for years. We've done several albums together, and we're just talking about doing yet another one. I've done a little bit of recording with Trinell, and she's tremendous. Trinell Armour, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's come over to the house a few times and, and recorded some really cool vocals. And she's, she's a fascinating singer because she has the ability to sort of hear everything in her head before I've played a note which is really interesting. I don't know if you've she noticed. She sings like an instrumentalist. Yes. That's why she's super fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. She's got that weird cognitive level that's not about front person with her either. Yes. She is a front person, but she's really good at gelling with the rhythm section. She really is. And listening and playing off of it like we all do with each other. Yeah, she's got a real concept of what it is she does, and I like that very much. She's really smart, too, just in general. You see, like, her day job is like a data scientist or something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. Like, wow fun to talk to yeah she's one of my best friends though so i don't have any room to speak here (laughs) (laughs) she has so much respect for you too oh man so who are some of the bands that you're playing with right now other than todd harold oh well todd harold's a a big one um and i've been doing a duet with him that's been really great you do something special with that duet too so tell listeners a little bit about kind of the concept of what you provide you're not just keyboarding early on i realized i could be more marketable if I got my left hand together and really started working out bass chops. And so, not to put bass players out of work or anything like that. Um, I realized that there was a need for it, and at the time there were a lot of organ trios that were coming up, and I was listening to a lot of that music. And so, I started to get that together. And playing with Todd is cool because it's just the two of us, and we know a lot of music between the two of us. He's been doing this forever, and he is his own musical industry in this town. He's played with everybody and has been everywhere and is everywhere all the time. He's a very busy, prolific drummer and singer. And it's the same person. You know, when you play with somebody who's a drummer and a singer, it's a great opportunity because that's driving the whole band and he has the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's fun to do your own thing and to have your own project, but it's also fun as a sideman to get into somebody else's world and try to support it and you learn things. Oh my, yes. I mean, I'm sad I don't have more time to do more of that because every time I do... I learned so much. Me too. Me uh, too. Working with Shannon in the last couple of years, I've learned a lot. I mean, she's yeah. a, little, a little force to be reckoned with. She is. Wow. Yeah, Shannon Pushner. Yeah. She's another person I've been playing with too. I call her the camp counselor I never had. <laughs> and she she loves it. So, I mean, she's, she is. I never yeah. got to go to summer camp or ride a school bus. But she is the camp counselor I never had. And she's I just, very peppy. Just oh, my. Energy, energy and and real positive. And yeah. Very versatile. Yeah. You know, she can go from one extreme to the next, and I've seen her sing multiple styles, and I've thrown kind of weird stuff at her and yeah. seen her knock it out of the park. She's so. shockingly good. Like, you stop yeah. in your tracks, like, is she really doing this? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing is how she reads the room. Yeah. Because if I book her for something, I know she's going to make the clients happy. Mm. Because she is going to play what they ask for. Yes. Or notice it before they even ask for it. Yeah. We've got funny stories about that, but I'll save that maybe for her <laughs> podcast. Well, that's kind of an interesting segue. So tell us about Club Soda. I think if sure. somebody doesn't know a lot about music or a lot about jazz, yeah, Club Soda is kind of where they go in Fort Wayne. You know, it's I'm biased. Um, I have been doing the booking there for over 10 years. 
really? Which is a long time to book a room. Yeah. And I've been playing there since they opened, which I think was around 2000. I think it's been 18 years. Wow. Um, and I, I'm, I'm losing track. I can't even remember. But they opened as a jump swing club, and they went through a couple of different kinds of incarnations. But in general, they have stayed pretty consistent as a kind of jazz room. It's not exactly pure jazz all the time. There's a lot of variety of music in there. It's all got I, an improvisational bent though, doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. It's and and the improv. It's a question of is it entertainment, is it dinner music, is it jazz, is it blues, is it R and B? And the answer is all of the above. It's it's all of those things. We don't try to resolve the contradiction. It's better to not do that. Mm-hmm. Because of that, there's a, a great variety, but you can still go in there and talk. You can still have a great dinner and have a great experience. But the music is not just in the background either. So it, it's not front and center, but it's also not just an afterthought. You're not what they used to call musical wallpaper back in the day, which is, you know, the background music gigs. I don't know how many of those you've played. You've played a lot of those. That's I'm where sure. I make my best money. Right, <laughs> yeah. no one cares. Right, the right. Wallpaper gigs nobody's watching. Dress really pretty and nobody's going to listen. Yeah, well, I think people listen. It, it's You'd be surprised how many people are probably well, actually three, listening. three people do, you yeah. know. Three people will come up and be like, I really liked that Diana Cross song. Or right, that, you know. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wonder Tune or, yeah. Absolutely. So the first time I had a crush on Alicia, I saw her at Club Soda. She was playing there. And Fred, actually, I think he invited me out because your band was playing. This would have been the night your mom pointed me out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got complained at that night for choice of dating. No, oh. This was before me. So. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you date a nice young cute guy like that? That's what I heard. <laughs> but that's I'm a story for another day. <laughs> But that's a cool room. I mean, so much has happened there, too, for me and for, I mean, even the musicians that I've worked with and helped get on the scene. You you brought yeah. me into the scene via Club Soda. Well, I've w- brought people into the scene via Club Soda. Yeah, it, it was good for the room to have you be involved because of the, the kinds of things you do as a musician, as a piano player, and as a singer, an entertainer, and a band leader. That's good for Club Soda. And the variety is the key. One of the things that I tried not to do that my predecessors had done, and not all of my predecessors, but a lot of the people that were booking rooms when I was coming up as a musician is they would hang on to the room so tightly that they would generally kill the vibe because they were always booking themselves as the rhythm section. They would try to book themselves with every singer or with everybody who was playing. I've tried not to do that. That's why it doesn't sound the same every night too. Yes. I want to hire you and you get to put together your band. That makes it better for you. You get to pick people you trust and you can put together your sound and get what you want. It's good for the room. That's cool. Is that kind of the aesthetic you're going for there? Just more eclectic and so that it's I, you know, a little bit so, something for everybody if they're coming on the right night of the week? I think it's good for the room for there to be variety in there. I'm not saying that I don't book the same acts, acts that are consistent and that show themselves to be trustworthy and musical and all of that. I'll continue to book. But we stay within that confine of jazz, blues, and R&B and all the above, mm-hmm. and you know, like what I was describing earlier. And there still is that, I don't know, that feeling or the vibe that you get when you walk into Club Soda. And yeah. Half the time when we're loading in, they're playing Sinatra and right. Otis Redding. Or yeah. <laughs> so there's all those, it's kind of like what you're saying. What would you think, what do you think would surprise people to know about Club Soda and the music choices or what goes into it or what's going on behind the scenes there? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I'm not sure what would surprise people about that. 
other than the fact that I was making a lot more money when I wasn't booking the room there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're paying that. That might actually surprise people. Uh, because back in the day, I remember playing as a solo piano player five nights a week. Oh, wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fun, interesting story about personal growth and all of that. I had quit a job to play there. This was early on, and they asked me to play five nights a week, and I got into my third month there, and it was great. I mean, the first month I showed up with a stack of fake books, and then the second month I brought just one, and by the third month I wasn't bringing any fake books, and it just they were all, all the tunes were in my head. And you then grew up hmm? in Club Soda. That's I cool. did, I did. But then they decided to cut back everything. They decided to make a real radical shift in their music, so they actually cut music for a while. For a very short moment, and I was out of gig. And my first response was, thank you so much That's for what a great opportunity that was. This was many, many years ago. I kept a good relationship with, with them and the guy that was booking the room at the time and ended up back. Somehow or other, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears a little bit to yeah. education. When you sit down with a student, what are some of the goals? I mean, I'm sure they come with their own goals that they want to achieve, but what are yeah. some of the goals you have? You already mentioned one of them when you said that you want to have them just enrich their lives with the music that they have. What did you call it? The enjoyment of life? Yeah, quality, of, quality of, life. of life. So what else are you, you aiming for? It depends on the student. I try to size them up to figure out what it is they're looking for. And if they're kids, then, you know, you, you want to make sure that they get fundamentals and basics and things that are going to matter. And rudiments yeah and as they get older they have more choice in that matter and in my opinion and so i'm a little bit more liberal i have been criticized probably rightly for being too laid back as a teacher i'm pretty chill mm -hmm. that's not always great for every student but it's it works for a lot i want students to feel that they have a right to participate musically that they can do this and no matter what, um, there's many different kinds of gifts in music, and I've seen it all. I've seen it. Ear players and people who read, and I've seen them play together and work together. And I've seen, sometimes they're the same person, and sometimes they're radically different. And there's not just one way to do this. This was an interesting issue that came up when Alicia posted an article that was about the decline of music literacy. Yeah. Jane Heald posted that. And yes. You kind of took an exception to it because and you brought up was it Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. It's like they didn't read music but they were, you know, brilliant compositionists. Right. Yes. So and I, I think that, people in that article confused reading music for being music literacy. But I think so I mean it well, is Well he easier. stressed that in the article. I guess I just completely overlooked that because when I think of literacy, I just think of the vocabulary you gave me when I came. Agreed. I already had literacy like reading. Yeah, you were when already I came here reader. I was looking for escape. My rudiments yeah. were fantastic. Yeah. My reading didn't need any help. I just was yeah. like, now what do I do with all this shit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like now what can I what yeah. can I do? And you just gave me this vocabulary and I just find a lot of my kids don't want a vocabulary anymore, whether they want to read music or not. And well, you're a great example of that because what I recall in the lesson was all I had to do is say, "Well, try this," and you just do it. And it was because you already had that skill. And I just well, pointed out how things. you use it, though. Yeah. yeah. But then when you like, had you not been able to just do it, then I would have taken a step back, and we would have said, "Well, let's. How do we get to the point where you can?" So then we try to figure out the musical steps we got to get to get to that place mm -hmm. so I guess musical teaching is problem-solving fundamentally for me and I know how I think and I know how I play but I got to figure out how they think 
And what's going to strike a chord sometimes, no pun intended, yeah. but like you can give him this material that's worked fantastic with 18 people. Oh, yeah. But there's going to be three that are going to give you the deer in the headlights look, or I'm just <laughs> really not interested in this at all look. Yes. And you know, that was a student I sent you not that long ago. Yeah. I'm anxious to see what happens with him if he sticks with music, because this kid had great talent. And I don't have a one method fits all. I know you teaching, don't. But I yeah. was like, this kid does not want to read. He can. Yeah. He's not going to do it, you know? And yeah. I was like, but he's a fantastic player. I wish I had half the compositional chops this kid had. Yeah. And so I'm like, you need to go down and see my mentor. He's like six doors down. I'm not trying to get rid of you. <laughs> yeah. But like you need I'll to I'll just... send him back soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, like go just try some lessons and see what happens. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it might be a better fit for you. And that yeah. was the cool thing about Sweetwater, being able to send him down there to you. It wasn't like he had to go to another house or yeah, a different location. Whether or not anything happens with that, it was just sure. like the different approaches that you offer. But isn't there something lost? Wasn't there a point to that article, that like a kernel of truth, that you know, if you're not, I don't know if it's technical or if it's, you call it literacy. There's money lost, but I don't know that there's quality lost sometimes, you know? There was something to the author's point about the fact that it's not being stressed and pushed in the schools the way it was. And the fact that early development, you know, all of this is sort of for moot. It would be, when you're talking about seven and eight year olds, I think you want to try to get them reading if possible, or at least familiarity with the basics and the fundamentals. And then they can sort of pick their path as they get older. But that has steadily, the, the threshold for that age-wise has gotten younger. So now nine, 10 year olds are getting pickier. You know, it used to be the 12 year olds were the ones you had to negotiate with. Now you're, now we're at a place where we're negotiating with the nine and 10 year olds almost. I so. think that's because of phones quite personally. Oh yeah. People are buying their kids an iPhone. It's like, I can press a button and get what I want immediately. Nobody's learned how to work for something a little bit, even in education. It seems like, I don't know, their, their willingness to commit to a concept or a, a problem. Yes. They won't stick with it as long. It's sometimes. It's, it's a question of what's lost, but also what are they gaining? And sure. they certainly are gaining something. It's just hard to know what that is at the, at the moment. Yeah. I would think there's some higher order, more abstract freedom when you're not dealing with what's at the bottom of the, you know, the more concrete level yeah. of that scale. I don't know, though. I mean, that, if, if you put it in terms of mathematics or, or grammar, or if you try to use an analogy from another educational field, yeah. it's like, I think you can do more with abstract math if you know how to do you know, basic arithmetic and algebra and stuff. And you can do more with poetry, I would think, or, you know, any type of literature if you really understand grammar and syntax and, you know, That's right. you probably don't need to know spelling so well anymore. Right. <laughs> but, so yeah, we don't need to concentrate on learning how to spell Baroque, you know, but yeah, it's, you still need to know how to use Baroque in a sentence. Yes. I've got several 30 to 50 year old students that quit because they were just forced to read and they just played out of method and they never really had, they didn't feel like they were ever playing songs. And consequently, they didn't realize that there were things that they could do. That do you the, think the, the methods method. are like a vehicle that nobody ever lets them go anywhere with? To I, me, I feel like it's like a car, but they never let them go to the store with it. I feel like method is really good if you take control of your own education from the method. But if you rely on a teacher to suggest outside sources and the teacher doesn't do it, then all you think is method. 
most teachers are probably assuming, hey, I'm taking you through this method. You can go out and buy all the sheet music you want. You should be able to do it, you know. But they don't. Yeah. But they don't do that. And they just think, well, this is the song I'm supposed to be working on. So and they I just work. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of the methods I use that we never play. Like, it's a yeah. band song just for me because I'm like, no one ever likes this song. We're not playing the song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't teaching you anything specific, and I, obviously I like methods, but yeah, I love supplemental. They have their uses, and the sure. point is that every method and every teaching style, no matter what you do, has a corresponding blind spot. If you focus 100% on ear or too much on one thing, you're going to lose it in another area of reading or learning by rote or all of the other different ways to learn. So I don't think there's a perfect method. We should do a special edition of the podcast where we get Derek Reeves to sit down too. Oh my. He had some interesting I ideas. I heard that about, podcast. Yeah, it was education. He wanted to start not even at the level of yeah. like the notes. He wanted to start at physics. Yeah. <laughs> and like this yeah. is why <laughs> this sounds the way it does. And this is how you create that sound and like build up from that. I mean, yeah, that might take a little bit more time, but you can see the advantage to that too. And like you're saying, there's like, I guess there's opportunity cost involved. So as you're learning all of that kind of information, what are you not learning in the meantime? I think people have more free time to learn to play music than they've ever had. There's more opportunity for people. And at the same time, there's more impatience about the process than there's ever been. Just because people are used to things being quick, you play video games or you're used to getting what you want quick, but music doesn't come quick. I've been practicing the same jazz standard this month for a month. <laughs> the same the same music, you know, yeah. and I've been playing it for years and years and I'm still finding new things in it. So yeah. there's always something new. I'm not a musician, but just when it comes to anything that you're learning, there is the just parts of it have to be wrote. You have to sit down and do the work. Yeah. You have to grind it out. Yeah. And whatever it is, whether it's you know martial arts, whether it's writing or poetry, whether it's yeah. music, it's like, I think, yeah, you lose something if you just don't have that capacity to you know really sit down and put your nose to the grindstone and work until you've mastered it and made it automatic, you know, just overlearned it so that you can run through it without thinking. It's muscle memory or whatever all the yeah. other terms are. For right. It. I can't imagine just being somebody who sits in the audience and watches you guys, like, watch your fingers, like, dancing over the keys, and it's like, it just seems impossible to me. It's some kind of wizard Right. You know, I can't imagine that anybody's going to get that type of proficiency, like virtuosity, whatever. Yeah. By just saying, oh, I like this song. I like <laughs> this sound. I'm going to try to reproduce it right. one time. You know, like, no, you guys must have sat somewhere hours yeah. at a time and banged that out like hundreds of times, thousands of times. Yes. And so, yeah, it's, I, I think that as a student, that would be something that you got to prepare these students for. You know, yes. like, hey, you're going to have to work. And some of it's just going to be like not fun, but hopefully you enjoy it. Because if you really have the bug, then. I think that's where piece selection comes in. Yeah. Because you can almost tell if someone's going to follow through. If they catch the bug, you can see it. Mm -hmm. And you know there's going to be hurdles. You know there's going to be speed bumps and frustrating stuff along yeah. the way. But if you can kind of keep an ear out for what that kid likes or that adult likes and what their bent is. Yeah. You're really good at that, Eric. And like you can kind of keep them committed enough. Oh yeah, I mean that you know that song keeps them in in it really passionately for another six weeks, and then you find another song that they'll spend four or six weeks on. You know, and they're like little treasure troves that help you as a teacher teach them the concepts that they need in this yeah. vast universe of music and math. And mm -hmm. which you can it's in the form of a piece they love, you know, or a song that their mom where they grew up with their yeah. mom listening to, or Sometimes you know, emotional resonance. 
like yeah. candy coated vegetables. I don't know. Pea selection is huge. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I don't claim to always even get it right. You, you just do a good try. job watching like where your students with their bent is. Well, if a student doesn't practice, the first person I blame is me. And I think that's different because I feel like, well, what did I miss? Where are they at? What was happening last week? Uh, and maybe, if, you know, the one week they don't practice, I can kind of understand. Two weeks I start going, you know, what have I got them on? Is this working? Is this the right thing for them where they're at? Sometimes I give them pieces I know they're going to hate, and I know that I've built up enough political capital. <laughs> I can push them through it because they I gave them a bunch of pieces they liked, but I feel like it's a good piece for them and they should learn it. And how many students have you had where they hated the piece and then they learned it and they loved it, right? I've had several. I almost don't need to ask this question just based on what you guys have been saying, but it's, it's going to say, what are some of the main lessons you've learned from your students? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. See if anything interesting comes out of it. Well, I'll tell you what I learned, and I learned it from you, actually, was the power of gratitude. He's looking at Alicia. Yes, I'm looking at <laughs> Alicia. Yes. What did I do? No, well, it's just one of the things, even as a student, you were always grateful for my time, and you were always aware of it, and you, you worked hard. That is its own form of gratitude. You can, I, I feel like I can learn from my students all the time. I learned from my oldest students. I've got an 84 year old student and she's had several strokes and I learn all kinds of things from her. Sometimes I have students that, like I, I got one who just went to Berkeley and he came back and he had transcribed one of my piano solos. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> on one of one of my uh, albums or something I had done recently. I realized, hey, I could, I could learn from this guy. He's passionate and he's doing some things now that I should check out. I think music is a gift, but it's also a trust that we hold and hang on to and then we give away. And that's how I think of it. And I think of that as a professional musician to not cling too tightly to a gig or to my own ego or my persona. As a teacher, I think about it like that. I, to me, it's about community. And the more you can build that, and that's why I love what you're doing, like these podcasts, which are fantastic. And, They're fun. And the fact that on the gigs, you're bringing people up and getting people involved in what you do. It that's is really a community. Good. It's yeah. like a language. So if music's a language, you know, jazz might be a dialect of a language. Yeah. What's the point of the language if you're not going to build and foster a community where it can be Absolutely. used? Absolutely. Because like jazz is almost, almost passed down by oral tradition. Yes. If you, you could get it in books, but you don't understand it until yes. someone says, here, now come try it with my friends. Or, right. hey, let me play for you, and, you know, let's, let's let you try this song. Yes. You know, and I, I had a student recently, just a family member of, was it Ron Barber? Yeah. And she was really nervous about playing, and there wow. was a jam session coming up. And she wasn't quite ready, but that's okay. And I'm like, try anyways. Don't improv this time. Just play the head of yeah. Miles Davis tune. Just because you're going to have so much fun. And I get a text at like 11 that night. Oh my God, I just had a ball. <laughs> <laughs> and I was having a really cruddy day. And I'm like, great. This is awesome. You That's know, it's like it's food. And yeah. it's like, you know, get out there and try. Yeah. You know, teaching them how they can use the language in a community is, you know, what well, you taught me that when you introduced me and how to, with Michael and David, how to play, you know. I remember uh, one of our lessons. Um, where we actually just did some free jazz and I recorded it. And what was what's always cool about doing that with a student for me is that at first the student is almost always a little tentative. And then if I just start banging away, they feel like they can too. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's hard to describe, but you know, when, when you have technique and you have 
an understanding of chords and jazz, and then you add to that the playfulness of just listening to somebody else and responding to somebody else, and then using the skills you have. That's a really, really potent thing for joy and for community. And at that moment, when we're doing that, I'm no longer a teacher, you're not a student. We were just two human beings making music together. And that's what it should be about. That was cool. I remember throwing elements of Bartok in. Oh, yeah. Because you went all percussive, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so I thought, oh, <laughs> Bartok like, was perfect for some that. Bartok-like, Bartok-esque yeah. concepts. That was fun. Yeah. I'd love to hear that sometime. That was a Yeah, I got to find that. You were thrown in the Bartok, and I was at the bar talking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... If you could go back in time to when you were first starting out in music, maybe at oh Borders, my. I guess, yeah. what advice would you give yourself? Oh, my. I don't know. I, I always say that if you're not happy with your present, um, then you're not happy with your past. I'm pretty happy with my present. So I made tons of mistakes all along, but I feel like they still got me to where I am. And so I don't know that I would change that much when I think about it. Oh, yeah. man, I almost envy you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no life is perfect. Nothing's perfect. I'd grab myself by yeah. the lapel and be like, stop it. There's, slap myself. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty I would love to change, but I try to be content with what I have. and So I guess that's how I think about it. You wouldn't give yourself any advice at all? Oh, I mean, something that I mean if have, I could change. What, I mean, what, if I knew now what I knew as, then as a player, I would be a completely different player, I'm sure. You know, some of the financial moves I decided to make. And, you know, it was a big risk to go from being in sales to becoming a professional musician. That's always tough. I always wanted a real job and no one would hire me. <laughs> Seriously, even like three years ago, I applied for a job. And it's like, no matter what I did. Yeah would never get hired for a real job. So I was like, okay. <laughs> keep playing, keep teaching. Yeah. It was really weird. I tried really hard, though. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> to get, like, a day job. I remember when Sarah's Family Diner wouldn't hire me. I was, like, 16. I was like, why? Well, I bet you could have found something. No, it was just really to. funny. I mean, there's yeah. a series of, of times I tried, and the yeah. door didn't open. So I thought, well, this must be meant to be then. Yeah. I got to add, like, a sidebar to this. A week and a half ago when I called you up. I really called you. I was really frustrated, and I was, like, searching out curriculum for yeah. some of the new courses at Purdue Fort Wayne yes. for the popular music degree. Popular music theory class, popular music piano, yeah. secondary instrument class. Basically the same classes, but with a pop music and more contemporary bent. Yes. And I'm like, what are these materials that are going to be adequate for this? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to send Eric a text. He'll text me back tomorrow. What if 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, you're responding back with like curriculum ideas. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking, <laughs> I think I put some post up about this too when they cut the ribbon. I remember what things were like when they cut the ribbon at Reinhardt 10 years mm -hmm. ago. And, and yeah. the scene of Fort Wayne, how musicians interact with each other. Yeah. I remember thinking, what's it going to be like 10 years after this ribbon cutting of this new center for Purdue, this new musical avenue? What's what's the scene going to look like? And I, yeah. when I was helping pick out curriculum for that with you, I remember thinking, like, we're changing that scene. And I think we don't realize that sometimes because we're both very humble and grateful. Mm -hmm. And I think we're both really practical, too. I think so. Um, we both lived here a long time, so it's mm -hmm. nothing new surprises us, really, even when it comes to town and, and all its grand and glory. And I think when you sit down and realize that some of the curriculum you helped me pick out, there's kids that are going to take these classes with the knowledge you imparted to me. And, you know, there's kids you're teaching and I'm, I'm teaching whatever privately as well. They're going to they're going to create that fabric right. in 10 years. 
Yeah. And I think it's weird to sit and realize that because you don't realize that sometimes when you're in the middle of it, teaching lessons, no, getting new students, whatever, booking new shows. No. But the people you're influencing with your music and with your education, you personally, yeah. will change the scene. Right, as you did. And it's really funny. <laughs> I mean, but and we still work together, but you will yeah. change the scene yeah. with how you educate and how you interact community-wise. Yeah. And, it's really cool. It's an interesting thing when, like I said, when your students become colleagues. And the piano business is a competitive business. There's there's so many gigs out there. I think there's enough for all of us. It's not oh, an yeah. issue. But it is competitive. But I go back to what I said, that I think of the gift of that is also a trust. That we entrust it. And if we encourage it. Good things come back. You don't always know what they are, and it's not—it's unexpected. But good things come back when you're at least trying to pass things on to the next generation. It's like boomerang. Yeah, and it's—it's it's not. So it's you can't get rid of. You're, you're getting paid exactly. You're getting paid for it. You yeah. know, you're when somebody is coming and paying me for my time, I feel it's important that they get the best of what I know of what I can describe and teach. You know about what it is they want to do, and I'll show them what I know and. It, that, that needs to be worth something. It definitely is. I guess it's fun seeing your thumbprint and stuff right now. That's why I had to embarrass you online oh, last week. Oh, yeah, I'm you should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can look this up. There's like Give a, a little public <laughs> shout-out. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just wanted to tease you, too. But, no, it's, it's it a thumbprint. Worked. definitely <laughs> humiliated me. <laughs> it's a thumbprint that you've made in the community with your educating and your playing. Mm -hmm. And it's cool. You're too kind. I enjoy what I do very much. I'm very grateful to be able to do it, and it's so fun to see somebody like you who, who's emerged as, as such a wonderful artist and a musician, and you've built your own industry in this town, and you've got your own thumb on the scale, too, Thanks. in your own ways, absolutely, and it's just growing and snowballing beyond anything I would have ever thought. Not that I didn't think you were going to go places, but I just, you don't know. It's going to be fun to see when we get old. It'll be fun to see, Absolutely. <laughs> When we get old. Imagine yeah. what the nursing homes are going to be like then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> can't the wait. best music around. <laughs> they will have good good music. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. <laughs> so that's a good note to end on, maybe. <laughs> We're coming up on time. Did we miss anything, Eric? Is there something you want to uh, talk about? I can't think of anything. Now, where would you like people to go so they can? Should they go to? You have a website. Yeah, they can go to ericclancy.net. That's my website. A, you had a blog, but it's it's fallen into disuse. Yeah, sometimes I I sort of get away from music and will blog on other things and just sort of blab about my opinion on some book I've read or something. But uh, I have one of those blogs. I I recommend <laughs> those. It's therapeutic and and it, we can't always do just music, right, Alicia? We yeah. gotta do other things too. It makes the music richer when you come to it. It does. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we're on Stitcher now. We're on iTunes. So if you're on those, go ahead and I can leave us a review. Give us five stars if you want or whatever, you know. Or if you're on the blog, just go ahead and go down and uh, subscribe. You can type in your email there. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Cool. Thank you. That was fun. Mm -hmm.